1: Ever since Amanda Fangman's episode where we talk about labor exploitation, I have wanted to have another episode sort of dealing with that. Um, I know labor exploitation happens a lot in MLM, but I also like to show the intersections of other industries. A while back, I was on TikTok scrolling along mindlessly, as I often do, and I came across a series of videos from one of my mutuals, Kristen Hoffman, who's better known on the internet as Baker Betty, and it was about her time in the food industry as a personal chef, and it was just really kind of culty and exploitative, and so I asked her if she would come on the show and tell her story. So that is what today's episode is about. Diving deeper into labor exploitation and what it looks like. I also wanted to say thank you to Merrill, our newest Patreon member. Thank you. Welcome to the club. And I also wanted to let you know that we are starting a book club on Patreon for Hey Hun by Emily Lynn Paulson. The book came out and we're all reading it. And, and Dave Vaughn reached out and said, hey, I've written some questions to sort of go along with some discussion do you think anybody would be interested in doing kind of like a book club? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes. So I reached out to Emily. She was excited about it. I sent her over the questions. She's like, this is really cool. She's also going to join us after we finish for a live discussion. But until then, we're going to be breaking down the chapters, talking about different topics and having discussions, having some live chats, and then always chats in the comments If you are into it, if you are reading Hey Hun, if this sounds like something you might be into and you want to join us either now or in the future, everything is in there on Patreon and you can find it with the hashtag Hey Hun Book Club on our Patreon page. Other than that, not a ton of trigger warnings except for labor exploitation. So uh, I'm really excited for this episode. A little change in pace. I don't think we mind it. Sometimes we have to leave like the culty stuff behind and talk about something that's culty in a completely different way. Enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of Life After MLM. Today, we have a different kind of story. We've been focusing on labor trafficking and labor exploitation. And so I wanted to tell a different kind of story. And I was just scrolling on TikTok the other night and this story came up and I was like, you know what? I manifested this. I manifest. It's <laughs> called manifesting. Look it up. And uh <laughs> I was like, this is perfect. I reached out and I said, would you be willing to come on the show? And I'm so happy she said yes. So I want to welcome to the show, Kristen Hoffman, better known as Baker Betty.
2: Welcome. How are you? Oh, thank you so much. I'm great. I'm super excited to be here. I actually discovered you. uh, I watched that Vice documentary when it first came out. So I've been following your journey like right from the beginning when you first left MLM and been listening to your podcast since the beginning. So it's really exciting to be here. Oh my
1: gosh. Like that's wow. Vice is wow. Yeah, it was a while back. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. That's so great. I love your content. You are incredible. You have the cutest stuff. Please, for everybody who's never come across your videos or your education, let everybody know who you are and what you do.
2: Sure. So I have been creating content online as Baker Betty since 2011. So almost 12 years now. At the time, it was a really popular thing to do to start a food blog. And I was really getting into baking at the time and I was creating all these recipes. So I wanted a place to put them. But I was also at the time very shy and I didn't want people to know my true identity. I've always had kind of an affinity for the 1950s aesthetic. So I decided to come up with this alter ego of Baker Betty. And truthfully, Baker Buddy was created for me to hide behind. Obviously, I have gotten over that a little bit. If you watch my content, Um, I'm not as shy anymore. But I started creating all this educational baking content in 2011. And that quickly grew into my business and it's now my full-time job. And just last year, I actually opened a brick and mortar here in Chicago, which is a 1950s styled event space. It kind of looks like a 1950s diner. And then also we have a little studio space that looks like a 1950s home kitchen. And it's where I teach all my baking classes. So we do weekly baking classes and cooking classes. We do a lot of fun date night cooking classes and happy hour cooking classes. And then more intensive baking classes like sourdough bread or French macarons, all kinds of things. So it's really, really fun. Wow. Your space is beautiful. I love
1: watching you you sort of set it up. The whole thing, it was just incredible. You are just living the dream. And uh, unfortunately, that's not The story we're telling
2: today. Unfortunately, no. This story kind of derailed me for a while from that dream.
1: (laughs) Let's get into this space. We're going to go back in time and we're going to talk about the time that you were a private chef and uh, the labor exploitation that sort of happens in that industry.
2: This story starts in 2013. I had just finished culinary school and I was living in Philadelphia at the time. And we were getting ready to move to Chicago. So my husband's job was transferring him to Chicago. We knew we were moving there. And I was kind of in this weird limbo. I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life. I had just finished culinary school, but I definitely knew I didn't want to work in a restaurant or in a bakery in production or anything like that and baker buddy was already starting to generate revenue but i didn't know if i really wanted to pursue that as full time so i decided to just kind of like poke around and see what kind of unconventional jobs i could find and pretty quickly i found a craigslist posting which maybe should have been my first red flag <laughs> but i found this this job posting and i remember reading it to my husband and saying this sounds like a dream job We had already actually rented an apartment in Chicago, and the location of this job was just two blocks away from where our new apartment was going to be. So it felt like this very serendipitous situation. Um, They were looking for somebody who could cook for someone with a very limited diet. Now, I really try to keep details of this situation vague. I'm not trying to give identifying things out. The Internet honestly terrifies me and people love to do sleuthing and try to figure out who this person is. I'll say up front, they're not famous. You're not going to know who they are. It's not exciting. It's not an exciting person. The job posting was for somebody who had been recently diagnosed with a rare disease that caused them to react to a lot of different foods. It was told to me that they were on this very extreme elimination diet. And I and I mean a true elimination diet where they had started with one ingredient at a time and were adding them into their diet to see which foods They could eat without reacting to them. So at the time of this job posting, I think they had twenty individual ingredients in their diet. By the time I left, we had a lot more, but and and I mean truly twenty, like including salt and cooking fats and any seasonings. And if you think about how many different ingredients you use when you cook food, it, it that is very limited. So they were looking for somebody who could do a lot of recipe development for them. They were eating too many of the same foods and they wanted, you know, some creativity. And I love that. I love recipe development. I love getting creative in the kitchen. And. It just seemed like my dream job. Now, before I went to culinary school, I actually had been a music therapist for a little while, and I was working in psychiatric facility. And one of my biggest fears about changing careers was me missing this component of my job where I was helping people. And so this, again, this like fed into my, this is serendipitous. I'm gonna get to cook and also be helping somebody. And that just seemed like a a dream to me, but I also thought I was unqualified for it. I didn't think I would get the job (laughs) because I had like virtually no experience in the real world. I had just finished culinary school. Wow. wow.
1: Yeah. So you, you say Craigslist and immediately I was like, really? Okay. I know. That's where you found this job listing. And this was in 2013. So, I mean, Craigslist was still, I guess, somewhere that people it were wasn't using.
2: wasn't as sketchy right. as we see it today. Yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and so what did the job listing look like? What did it entail? It just said, we've got a limited diet and we need Yeah,
2: Yeah. They, they wanted somebody specifically for cooking and recipe development. Those were like the two big things. They wanted somebody that could come up with new ideas and new recipes with all of these limited ingredients. And that was really the main, the main thing that pulled me in was the recipe development.
1: Did it say anything about like travel or living in nope. or anything nope. like that?
2: Just, we need a chef and we need to a chef do this. Yep. Okay. There were not, honestly not a ton of details up front. It definitely did not say anything about travel also did not say anything about We might need you to do a lot of other things for us that have nothing to do with being a chef, um, which we'll talk about more as we get into this. But very quickly, the employer reached out to me and was very interested in me. We had a very long phone call where they gave me all the details about the diet of the person I'd be cooking for. And then they quickly asked if they could fly me to Chicago to do a work trial for them. It was going to be like a month before we were actually moving to Chicago and they wanted to see if I was the right person. So we set it up. They flew me out to Chicago. I did a work trial with them. They actually already had another full-time private chef cooking for the same person that I would be cooking for. And that person was, was less experienced in recipe development. They were mostly just there to cook the meals and kind of help with managing the the kitchen and then I was more there for continuing to help cook the meals but also the recipe development and so I mean it felt like a dream like I was telling everybody this is my absolute dream job I thought this was end game I would be doing it for (laughs) the rest of my life Um, and the setup for this job was really unique so because they were eating such a limited diet and the family, the rest of the family was not eating the same diet as them because it was so limited. I would never expect anybody else who didn't have to eat this way to eat this way. But the, the rest of the family was eating a lot of things that they couldn't eat. And so they decided they wanted to set up this dedicated kitchen outside of the home for us to cook in. So we did not cook in the family's home. They had rented an apartment across the street from their residence and nobody lived in the apartment. It was specifically for us to use as the dedicated kitchen for the person that we were cooking for. So the living room didn't have furniture in it. It had prep tables. It had multiple freezers and refrigerators for storing all the food. And the bedroom was basically our dry storage. It it was kind of set up like a restaurant for one individual person. I know that the internet sleuths are like, their ears are perking
1: up, but like, it's not a celebrity, but obviously this family is well off. They've got two yes. private chefs for one person and they're renting an apartment in Chicago yes. across the street from
2: their b- big fancy just to cook. Yes. So yeah, and, wow. and in the end, there ended up being three full-time private chefs. So okay. yes, they were ultra wealthy people. Yes. But again, not somebody that you're going to know who they are. You know, every single thing that the person we were cooking for ate was made 100% from scratch from us out of this kitchen. So I mean that truly. We would get whole pieces of pork fat and render it down into lard to cook with. We got all of the meat from one farmer and we would butcher it down and make it into the cuts of meat that we want. We would make specialty flours out of the ingredients that were safe for them to eat. It was, truly every single thing that they put in their mouth was made by us. I'll also say that when I took the job, I was very open about Baker Betty and it being my side business and that I really wanted to continue doing it as my business. And my boss was super, there was definitely this honeymoon phase where they were, oh, absolutely. You'll have plenty of time to do those things. This is a very flexible position. There was also a lot of love bombing in the beginning. There was You are incredible. You're changing our life so much. You're making such a big difference. Now, looking back, I I really see these manipulative tactics that were used on me to really pull me in and kind of slowly manipulate me over time. And there was a lot of promises about taking care of me financially and and things like that. And I also feel that I need to give a little bit of context about my background, the headspace that I was in at the time, because I started working in restaurants when I was 14 years old and I worked all the way through high school and all the way through college and even a little bit after college. And so if you've ever worked in a restaurant, you know that the restaurant world is a very toxic place and it's very normalized in the restaurant world to work very long hours, never take a break, work for very little pay. You come in when you're sick. You do not take a day off unless you're basically on your deathbed. Like that is what the restaurant world, that is what is very normalized in the restaurant world. So essentially all of my working experience before this is kind of like in that context, you know? So when I get this job offer for a job that seems upfront to be somebody that cares about their employees and, and really wants to, you know, praise you for doing a good job and give you a raise, it seems like this very appealing job. Looking back, people always want to ask, what did you get paid? Did you make good money? I thought when they offered me this job, like I was being offered such a great pay. And looking back, it's kind of embarrassing. I get kind of embarrassed thinking back. But I think my base pay when I first took the job was $20 an hour. For a private chef, that is not good pay at all, (laughs) but it was more money than I had ever made. You know, it was, it seemed like it was great money. And they also did this thing where they were like, we have this 30 day grace period for you to kind of prove yourself to us. And we'll give you a raise after that 30 days. And we also do bonuses. We do a, a six month bonus and then we do an end of the year bonus and depending on how well you do, like that will affect your bonus. And they also paid time and a half for any hours over 40 hours, which there were a lot of. And so I think at the end of that first year, after I worked a full first year for them, I made close to six figures, which at the time felt like so much money. And it is, it like a lot of people do not make that kind of money. But for the amount of work and labor I was doing, it was not, you know, and they really just like kind of held money over our heads to get what they wanted from us. Very exploitative, very manipulative. Yes.
1: Uh, How long into your stint there did you start to really feel that you were being exploited or did you ever?
2: It really took me until close to the end. I mean, I, I knew that I was being overworked, but there was always kind of this it's going to get better. And the more systems we put in place, it's going to get better. The more we figure out about the diet, it's going to get better. We'll hire another chef. It's going to get better. It never got better. There was nothing we could ever do to make it get better. Um, So I think I was always kind of like chasing that. I was chasing the time when this job that was presented to me as my dream job actually became the dream job that I thought it was. It's such a theme. Yeah. Like, you know that you're
1: struggling and you're like, you're getting these promises from this person that's like, just work a little harder. Mm -hmm. Just we're we're putting systems into place. I don't even, right can't even tell you how many times I heard that even in Mm -hmm. LuLaRoe, it'll get better. We're. We're fixing the website. We're putting new systems into place, and so to hear the same stuff from a private family who's mm-hmm. hiring you, it's just—it's the same manipulative, exploitative language. Where yep. you're just—you're living on hope. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Absolutely so how many
2: was living on hope? How many years total were you with this? I worked parent? there from for three full years before okay. I left. Yeah. So
1: let's talk about some of the stuff that you had to do where you read this Craigslist ad, you're making recipes and you're cooking for someone with food allergies. That's what it was presented as Mm -hmm. $20 an hour, which if that's all you're doing, that is a pretty good pay for cooking. And for one person, it doesn't seem like so much, but let's actually get into some of the stuff that you actually were doing on that bait and switch of a Craigslist ad.
2: Yeah. Well, so the job in and of itself was so much more that the actual cooking part was very complicated and complex. We had very, very detailed inventory that we had to keep updated all the time meticulously. There was every single day, any item that we used to cook with, we had to take it out of inventory and my boss would obsess over that. Um, We had a very, very meticulous meal plan that we had to, you know, make every week and it would take hours and hours and hours and My boss would edit it and come back. It was never good enough, no matter how much time we spent on it. Um, We did all of the shopping for the family, any kind of ordering. And then, of course, we did all of the cooking. So the person we were cooking for ate four to five meals every single day because of their activity level and calorie needs. And all of these meals had to be made fresh. There was no prepping a meal and then reheating it or like even getting it part of the way there and then handing it over to them so that when they got home at nine o'clock at night, they could just pop it in the oven and heat it up. No, Everything always had to be made fresh and hot and delivered to them right when they were ready to eat it. So making four to five meals a day fresh is a huge amount of labor, even if it's just for one person. Is
1: that a personal choice or was that mm-hmm. something to do with the allergies? Or No,
2: that was absolutely a personal choice. Yeah. And there was a lot of kind of pulling at my heartstrings to there already have all these limited ingredients and this is such an unfair situation for them so they deserve to always for every single meal have a fresh hot meal never leftovers and you know if they treated us well and paid us fairly and gave us benefits which that's the other thing there was zero benefits with this job no paid time off no health insurance no nothing like that you know they're they're paying for the job they can have whatever they want but all of these things just kind of build on each other now Pretty early on, my boss did say to me, There may be times when I might ask you to do something that doesn't have to do with cooking. And I hope that you can understand that that we might sometimes need that. Now, the first thing they ever asked me to do was to find them a new couch. And they <laughs> <laughs> And they had these very specific requirements about this couch, about the dimensions and the shape and the color. And it took me so long to find this dang couch. And I remember in my head thinking like, this is such a ridiculous request, but also thinking I'm getting paid $20 an hour to scroll on the internet and try to find this dang couch. Like this is so easy. The second thing they asked me to do was to find them a dog. And I spent... Multiple days scrolling the internet for uh, different shelters because, of course, the dog had very, very specific requirements as well. Now, when they got the dog, then sometimes, hey, can you walk the dog? Over time, it just built and built and built. Returning things to stores. Then it started to become managing schedule, making appointments for them. It literally becoming like a personal assistant in addition to being a private chef. I remember there was a time when I did really try to start putting boundaries in place because it started getting very out of hand. And my boss would say to me, I always figure I can always ask you and you can always say no. And this is such a manipulative tactic because, again, our, our pay was very much determined by the work that we did for them. They would hold bonuses over our heads. They would hold raises over our heads. And this was totally a way to just get us to do whatever they wanted us to do. And also, if you're a people pleaser like me, and my boss knew I was a people pleaser, that I would never say no. I, You know, it, as much as I would try to sometimes, it's just when you're in this position where there's somebody like holding this thing over your head. And also, I, I believed that this was my dream job. Like the actual core part of the job that I was hired to do was something I was very passionate about doing. And I didn't want to lose that part, you know? And so it just got harder and harder and harder to say no. And, and things just became, it just kept escalating over time. You're a personal assistant to this person as well as their
1: personal chef. So what were some of the things that you had to do as a personal chef that sort of went above and beyond what you thought you were signing up for?
2: Travel was the biggest thing. There was not any discussion of travel when I first took the job, but very quickly it became clear that there was a lot of travel. They traveled constantly, at least twice a month. And travel was such an ordeal because we would have to bring everything that the person was going to eat with us. Because again, we, you know, made all these specialty flowers. We had special meat. We had all these things. The only thing we could get at our destination was fresh produce. So we would have to really plan ahead and plan all these meals and figure out what we were going to bring. We also had to bring all of the equipment that we were going to use to cook with because we couldn't risk cross-contamination. So travel was a huge ordeal. And Usually they would only bring one chef with them when we travel. And usually it was me because I was the one that had been there the longest. The, the first chef that was there when I first got hired <laughs> left pretty quickly. So, you know, by the time that we were doing a lot of traveling, it, I was the one that had been there the longest, the one they trusted the most, the one they wanted me to come. So it was usually me
1: you're telling me that they're traveling twice a month. Like, are they just, are these just vacations, like ultra wealthy vacations, or are they business trips? Like, where are you going?
2: Sometimes they're vacations. They were there to do businessy things. So again, on these trips, we'd be covering four to five meals a day and I would be there solo or whoever was with them would be there solo. So there were, there were so many days when, We would be working from literally like 6 a.m. to midnight just, you know, cooking. And of course, they also would try to get us to be their driver on these trips. So take them to all the things that they were doing because we would typically need the car in order to bring them their meal wherever they were going to be. And they couldn't get us two cars. My God. And we would... Go back to the hotel, cook a meal, put it in the hot bag, bring it back to wherever they were over and over, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth.
1: That's ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. They're on vacation, work, whatever it is. You're in a completely different location. You've shipped Mm -hmm. everything you need to this location so that you can cook for them. Now you're at the kitchen at the location, making the food and then driving it to them. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then, no. and then someone stays back to clean up and then, the, and then
2: how much time do you have between clean up before you're prepping for the next meal? Very little. Um, it was just kind of a, a nonstop situation. And, you know, looking back again, you know, it's so hindsight, it's always 2020. 20, and I'm sure people are listening to this being, how the hell did you not put your foot down? You know, it, it's easy to say that from the outside looking in. But when I look back, it's so clear to me how much they did not value their staff. For instance, the person's food that we were cooking for was too precious for us to eat. We could never eat anything that was for them. But we also could not bring any food of our own into the apartment or into the kitchen that we were cooking in because it was always that's a safe zone you can't bring any ingredients into this situation that is not safe for them so if we wanted to take a break to eat something if we were you know back here in chicago cooking in that kitchen we would have to either go out to eat or we would bring our food in like a little cooler lunch bag and we'd have to keep it outside the apartment door And when we wanted to eat lunch, we'd have to go down to the lobby to eat. And when we were traveling, we had to eat every single meal out. All three meals would have to be eaten out. Now they did pay for the meals when we were traveling, But it just added so much more stress to our day because for every meal, you're frantically thinking, where am I going to find food? Usually you only had time to get fast food. So you like weren't really eating like, you know, the way you wanted to be eating. It's not fun to eat fast food all three meals a day for a week long. You'd be driving around a city you're unfamiliar with trying to find food. And you usually had very little time before you had to get back and start making the next meal. And we also would often just have to remind our boss that we needed to eat. It's almost as if they would forget that we are human that also needs to nourish our bodies. And I very specifically remember this one trip and the day that we flew home, it was going to be kind of a long travel day. So I had to get up super early in the morning and prepare three meals to put in thermoses. That was the only time we could ever like use a thermos or something like that. Prepare three meals to put in the thermoses so that my client had enough food to get through the travel day and then get cleaned up and get all of our equipment and our you know coolers packed up and the cars packed up. And then, as I'm like frantically getting all this done so we can leave for the day, uh, one of the family members went to go get breakfast sandwiches for the rest of the family to eat something before we left, and they didn't get me one. So they're all eating breakfast sandwiches. My client's eating the breakfast that I prepared for them, and. I'm frantically packing the car. We have like an hour drive to the airport. And by the time we, and, and also there's nothing to eat at the airport because we're flying private and private jet airports don't have like the little restaurants you can get food at. We get to the airport and I am like out of my mind hungry at this point. I've been like working my butt off all morning. Everybody's been fed except for me. And I finally just said to my boss, like I lost it. I was like, I need to eat something. And they finally, like, found some of their precious food that they would allow me to have. It's like, oh, they act so surprised. Like, you haven't eaten anything? I'm like, when would I have eaten anything? Like, nothing is open at 4 a.m. in the morning when I'm up getting your food. Like, you haven't seen me leave. It's like they just, like, have no regard for their employees. This was very close to the end of my time with them. and And I do think that that was one of the biggest triggers where I was like, wow, these people... Do not care about their staff. I am bel- very much below them in their eyes. They see themselves as so much more important than me. Because you are not allowed to
1: eat the precious food mm-hmm. and you have to pack it all up and everything perfect to travel mm-hmm. because it mm-hmm. is so precious. Tell me that you are measuring it out to the exact granule of rice, so that there is oh. no waste. Especially since you're not allowed to eat any of it.
2: Oh, oh, yes. Please
1: tell me that that's everything what's was
2: very. Oh, yes. Quantities were very specified. When we would portion meat, we would have all of these different size portions, different weight portions, based on what kind of meal we were making, what time of the day they would be eating it. Very specific weight amounts. Um, same with like you know, we would make potato pasta because potatoes were one of the only ingredients that they could eat and you know we would have very specific weights that we would portion it out into and you know a lot of times um, when I start telling details like this people want to come to me and say your client had OCD or your client probably had autism or neurodivergent in some way and you know I am not somebody to diagnose. And and I've I've worked in mental health. I'm acutely aware that there is a very strong possibility that something like that is true. But that does not give you the right to mistreat your employees. Mental illness or neurodivergence, both of which I have, are did not give you the right to mistreat your employees and not value them. Yeah, it was all very micromanaged. Well at least there wasn't like copious amounts of just waste or, yeah, was well there still? I would say there was there was not copious amounts of food waste while I was there. There was copious amounts of other types of waste. We were never allowed to use like reusable packaging for their food. So we were packaging their food in takeout containers for every meal. And I was constantly trying to convince them to let's start using, you know, like we can use like glass containers that we can wash, but they didn't want to have to keep track of them and have to give them back to us to then use again the next time. That was too stressful for them. So we would use like plastic takeout containers for every single meal that we made for them. And that is one of the things that really drove me bonkers that I like could not convince them to try to to come up with a more sustainable way to do things. There was so much packaging waste. you know one of the other things that happened that talking about food waste that I start seeing red when I really think about it, but um, we had an in home freeze dryer that we would use in the space to freeze dry full meals for my client to take with them traveling was such an ordeal we had to bring so many ice packs and so many coolers That I was trying to figure out a way that we could do this with less ice packs, less coolers. So I learned about in-home freeze dryers. I convinced my boss to let us get one. We started freeze drying meals. We started testing them out. And I, I hear people say all the time, well, that food doesn't taste good. They're wrong. It really does. Like it really is still good food. We would make, you know, the same kind of food that we were making from them at full meals, freeze dry them and rehydrate them. So that we could travel with these foods i also saw this as okay this is a way we could help make this person more independent they could start doing it themselves they could just throw it in a pot add some water heat it up get it ready for themselves and so that was my intention was to help make things simpler for us of course it only overcomplicated everything And my boss started really obsessing over having every different type of freeze-dried meals, certain numbers of freeze-dried meals. We would start freeze-drying raw meat because raw meat can be good for 25 years if you freeze-dry it and package it right. Um, And so then if the freezers went out, we weren't like... SOL because we'd have, you know, all this stuff. So we, we literally free, I can't even tell you, I think we probably had at least if they wanted to, they could eat a year's worth of food off of that freeze dried food that we had made, but they refused to use it. They just would not use it. They just kept saying, well, we can afford a private chef. I'd rather just bring you and have you cook fresh food. But I still do want you to keep freeze-drying food. Like, I still want you to put all this effort into freeze-drying all this food. So when I left, there was literally an entire room filled with freeze-dried food. I have since learned that it has all been thrown away. I just see red. I can think of a a ton of
1: places that would have taken that as donations. And there's so, a year's worth of prepped, not only meals, but the yeah. raw ingredients as yeah. well. Yeah. It is the Enraging. ultra wealthy waste. Styrofoam and plastic and paper, everything just because we just, it's just
2: easier. We don't want to have to bring you a glass. What? what? Just And not and not only that, but like we couldn't even do reusable like silverware. Like they always used a plastic fork or spoon for every single meal.
1: Actual work, would you say was what was part of that original Craigslist ad? Like, what percentage of, of what the you original actually did?
2: Yeah. Ad? Probably 10%. I 10%. mean, <laughs> wow. yeah, probably. Yeah. It, it got so bad in the end. And when um, you're traveling, is it just domestic around? Or are you going international? We did go to Canada once and we did go to Puerto Rico, but like pretty much. Yeah. I mean, basically domestic. Canada was the only time we ever went out of the country.
1: How old were you when you decided this was enough and you were like, I'm out of here? <laughs> Too old.
2: I should have, I should have realized it faster. I left when I was, it's five years ago. So I left when I was 31, 32 and you know, by the time I left, I was working 80-hour weeks most week. I was barely ever taking a single day off. And, and even if I was technically off, I couldn't shut it off. My boss was constantly texting me, constantly emailing me. I was so exhausted. I was so overworked. I was not eating enough because of the way we worked. And I feel like I was in this place where I knew I, I wanted to leave and needed to leave, but I couldn't even think about it. I didn't have the energy or the mind space to think about leaving and what did I even want to do or what kind of job did I even want to do? And, you know, it, you're in the state where you're just kind of given into the situation, you know, because it's like it's so much effort to be in the situation, but it's more effort to figure out a way out. And the breaking point was my husband and I were on a vacation in Costa Rica. It was the first real vacation I had taken in three years since I took this job. And I still couldn't shut it off. My boss was still texting, emailing me, trying to get me to like tell the other chefs what to do, trying to get me to change things on the meal plan or do things for them. And they just absolutely could not respect boundaries. I I was starting, I was to a point where I was starting to get real snippy with them and really (laughs) trying to put up boundaries. And they just absolutely could not. And I just had a complete breakdown while I was in Costa Rica, just completely lost it. My husband, who is just honestly the most wonderful man ever, you know, he had wanted me to leave for a long time, but he also knew that. I, I really wanted this job to work out. I wanted the dream of what this job was to be real. And so he knew he couldn't push me to leave. He couldn't force that on me. But he, he just basically was like, if you want to leave, we'll figure it out. Like I'll be with you. Because my business had now suffered so much for me neglecting it with this job that it wasn't really bringing in income. So me leaving especially being in a place where I was mentally not in a place where I could really take on a new job yet. Like me leaving was going to put us in a huge financial strain, but he was just like, you know, this is, this is, needs to happen. And so I decided to leave. I decided to, to go full-time with Baker Betty, even though it was not in the place where it was ready to be full-time job for me. And it did. It put a ton of financial strain on us. But in the end, it it was worth it. They tried to double my salary. They tried to offer me benefits. They tried everything to get me to stay. And that was even just more proof that they didn't value me. They just valued my labor and getting from me what they could get from me. And it just enrages me that they're like, oh, well, if she's going to leave, then we will pay her what we should be paying her and give her benefits. It's absolutely,
1: it's asinine. It really is. It is. For you to be like, you've mistreated me for three years. I'm done. And they're like,
2: we'll finally pay you what you're worth. And you're just like, fuck you. And my boss was also very condescending about me going full-time on my business. She kept saying to me, I see this as you taking a break. I know you're going to be back. She tried to offer me to invest in my business, which uh, somebody may be hearing that and be like, "Oh, you're so ungrateful." She wanted to invest in your business. That was completely a self. She wanted to control me. Like I know, I know exactly, oh, like what, what that was. You know about. She seems like uh, a
1: giant walking <laughs> red flag.
2: So yeah. there's there's
1: nothing yeah. altruistic there.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, it took me about a year for me to grow my business to be at a place where one, it supported me and I could also afford to bring somebody on full-time. And my first full-time hire was one of the private chefs that was also working for the family. Oh my God, I Um, love that. And I like made a very strong commitment to myself that I would not hire somebody until I could pay them a truly good, comfortable, livable wage that did not require them to be in a comfortable, livable wage by working overtime, you know, and that I could give them health benefits. I could give them retirement benefits. I could give them paid days off. And she's been with me since, ever since she still works for me now. I now have seven full-time employees and one part-time employee, all of who I offer benefits to and pay them a good comfortable livable wage wow and you know i'm just really passionate now about i you know i'm in a lot of communities with other business owners a lot of food bloggers are you know have staff and and i really try to be vocal about this food world the food industry has really trained us all to think that, one, we should work for as little pay as possible and work as hard as we possibly can and not value our life. Work comes first. But also, I think working in that, when you become a boss, you're also still kind of trained in that mindset. And I think it's important for us to talk about that and to really encourage other business owners to self-regulate and to really call themselves out on that. And And if you cannot afford to pay somebody a comfortable livable wage, you're not ready to hire yet. You know, we really need to see our employees as the absolute biggest asset in our company. They need to be well taken care of. They need time off. They need you know, especially if they're coming from this food world where you're trained to not take a break, you you tell them to take a break. You remind them to take a break. And it's our jobs as bosses to make sure that our employees' well-being is taken care of.
1: Absolutely. I love that you're doing that. I love that you have taken this like horrible experience of this labor exploitation and just, just a really nasty situation that you were in. And learned from it, learned what not to do and are being that badass businesswoman on the oh, backside and being like, yeah, like you're a full on boss. I love it. Oh, thank you. This is the kind of story I like to hear where you're like, this is what happened to me. This is what I learned. And here I am. I'm not exploiting my workers. For the yeah. longest time, I didn't want to bring anybody on to help because one, I was afraid to like, let my baby like be seen yeah, by someone hard. else, you know, it's hard. Mm -hmm. And then two, because I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to give somebody a fair wage in a, in a contract position, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I, I did finally hire someone and she's my lifesaver and felt really good. And I was like, thank you for helping me because now I'm not so stressed because I hear from so many people that bringing someone on to help you should make you more money because Mm -hmm. they're taking things away that that mm-hmm. you, you don't have to do. And so you can focus your time and your energy on other things, make more money, bring on more people and, and create something that's really beautiful and wonderful. I, I just,
2: it's, you're amazing. Like oh, you're even you. more amazing
1: than I thought.
2: <laughs> oh, thank you. I mean, I, I used to really think about what is my goal with this business? Do I you don't want to have a show on the Food Network someday or, you know, what what do I want out of this? And, and recently I've sat and thought about that a lot. And it's dawned on me that I just want to provide good jobs for people. Like I want to provide good, fulfilling jobs for people where they feel respected. They feel like their voice is heard and they have a life that is balanced. And it's so hard to find that in the U.S. You know, we are so we're so trained to accept exploitative jobs in the US. And I think that's becoming less. I hear people say all the time that people don't want to work, but I don't think that's true. People want to work in a job where they're respected. That, that's the biggest thing, you know, and people are, are starting to stand up for themselves. And that makes me really happy. But yeah, I just, I want to provide good jobs for people. I think
1: about so many different avenues of work, especially mm-hmm. service industry. Or we allow people to take advantage of us. As a hairstylist, I exploited my own labor so many times. As a hairstylist, if there's somebody sitting and processing, you can take someone else. And it really took me till COVID to be like, no, I'm not going to double book anymore. No. And, and I had to be the one to set those boundaries for mm-hmm. myself because I absolutely. was exploiting
2: myself. Oh, absolutely. As a business owner, it's so hard not to do that. And we do, we do have to absolutely see ourselves like you are also an employee of your company and you need to treat yourself as well as you want to treat your employees. <laughs> you know, this year, I'm it's my year of like taking breaks and saying,
1: sure, I'll go. Sure, that Mm -hmm. sounds fun. And I've got all this travel coming up and all of these really cool things. And I would have never been able to do this if I didn't stop exploiting myself and say, you know what, Roberta, you deserve a break. You work really hard. Absolutely. And so I I hope that people are listening and are going, oh, yeah, I should probably give myself a break. I should definitely take that lunch. When I say that I'm going to sign off and not take my 30, maybe I shouldn't do that today. Maybe I should take it. I know here in California, if you are an employee and you decide to not take a lunch, you actually have to sign like a form that says, I am not taking my lunch voluntarily to work instead. Wow. (laughs) Because my ex had to do that in construction all the time. He had to sign out Mm -hmm. that he was voluntarily not taking a lunch. And I was just like, is that, that's a thing. We're still exploiting ourselves, even though there are laws in place. So. Having yep. conversations like this opens up that going, you know what? hmm Yeah, no, I am gonna take my lunch. I earned it. We should Absolutely. be eating, right? Absolutely. Like we, we're supposed to be. We we like exploit ourselves constantly. And having these conversations and opening up this topic, I think even allows some people who didn't realize they were exploiting themselves to go, oh yeah, I should probably take that vacation yeah. I've been quote saving for or talking about or get in the car and take a road trip. Take a staycation. I know relax. I I told Abby I was like, you know what? Like one of our favorite campgrounds, it's only like $14 for the night.
2: Yeah. How hard is it to pack up
1: some food? Like, I don't even have to bring food, really. I can bring a couple snacks. We can grab takeout on the way. Yeah. Get out there, eat our takeout, whatever. And just get away from get away from the city, get away from the energy of of the hustle and the bustle and just connect and relax and have some time for you. It's so, so, so important.
2: Yes, it really is.
1: Well, Kristen, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing yeah. your, not only your Baker Betty journey, which I think is so cool, but oh, this thank you. toxic, culty, exploitative workplace that you were a part of. Everybody that's listening that wants to follow along, where can they find you? How can they take sure. your classes? Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and where can they, where can they
2: join you on social media? So I'm at Baker Betty on all the things, and it's always Baker Betty with an IE, not a Y. My website is BakerBetty.com, and that's where you can find hundreds of recipes and baking technique tutorials. My YouTube channel also has lots of recipe tutorials. I'm really active on TikTok. And then, if you want to take classes, if you're ever in the Chicago area, um, my space is called Betty's Chicago. And you can go to Betty'sChicago.com to see all of the classes that we offer. But then I also do at least one virtual class every month. So if you're not in the Chicago area and you want to take a class with me, you can also go to Betty'sChicago.com and see any of the ones that are labeled as virtual and take a class that way. Everybody
1: that was, <laughs> you know, making their own yeasty starters during the pandemic yeah. should definitely head over to her. Website because there are so many bread recipes. I'm yeah, like, oh my is-
2: gosh, that looks so good. Yeah, if you want to learn how to make sourdough on my YouTube channel, I have a whole sourdough for beginners playlist that walks you through the whole process of making a starter and baking with it.
1: I love it. Thank you, Thank you. so much for spending part of your day. If I am ever in Chicago, I am.
2: Yes, I'm ever in Chicago again. Yet. I'm coming and I'm hitting you up. Please, please. Yes. I'd love to have you. Thank
1: you Thanks so much.
2: Me.
0: Of course. Thank you so much for listening to Life After MLM. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and share. And follow us on social media at Life After MLM Podcast and my advocacy at The Real Roberta Blevins. You can find all of the links to the social accounts in our show notes. And if you just listened to that incredible story and you thought, Oh my God. I have a story just like that that needs to be told. Hit me up, therealrobertablevins at gmail.com. I would love to have you on the show to share your story and start your journey in life after MLM. See you next time, Hans.